0: What is Demystifying Research? Hosted by me, Kelly Harris, and me, Katherine Hoyt. Demystifying Research is a space where we dialogue on training, careers, and all things research.
1: Everything from is research right for me to thinking about applications, mentorship, which research degree is right for me, handling failure and rejection, CVs versus resumes, and funding. This is a space where we engage in discussions around the questions we all have or have had when considering a career
0: in research and science. As clinician scientists, we seek to answer questions and address issues that aren't clearly addressed in more formal spaces, things that weren't addressed in our clinical training, questions that we may not know how or where to begin to seek answers. This is not a space only for scientists and researchers, but for anyone who may be interested in science and research. We're so glad you joined us. Let's dive in.
1: So today we were hoping to talk a little bit about the process of getting a PhD, the information that maybe you weren't told ahead of time, that you don't know until you know kind of stuff, the the ins and outs of the process that aren't necessarily shared in any other way, and maybe some of the information that, you know, I, I wish I would have known as a PhD learner or before I even considered a PhD. Um, so that's what we're hoping to talk about today. So, uh, could you introduce yourself for us, Dr.? Yeah.
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Lindsay Schultz. I received a master's in elementary education from WashU way back in 2010. And then I stayed and got a PhD in 2018. I left for a couple of years, was a postdoc for our land grant institution here in Missouri. And was working with teachers across the state before I came back um, to work here at WashU as a lecturer in our Department of Education.
1: So, oh, cool. I know you and Kelly know each other. We do.
0: Yeah, so we um, were both PhD students together in the Department of Education. Um, Lindsay was like, a, she came in a year before me, I think, or maybe I two. Did. Yeah, so um, I learned a lot. From, from being able to be in the program with her. So we're glad to have you here today.
2: Thank yeah. you. I'm excited to be here. Um, I was actually thinking one of the funny things, right, is like I was ahead, quote unquote, ahead of Kelly by a year. And one of the things with like the PhD process is unlike the undergrad degree and a master's degree, like those programs I feel are very linear, right? Like, you know, Essentially, there's a four year limit on your undergrad degree and like there's a set program in place with you. And with a master's degree like that, at least here, my experience was that was like very limited. You were taking these classes and that was it versus a PhD um, by the like people who are coming in for a PhD are at various phases of life. And so that process is not at all linear um, necessarily. It can be like in an ideal world. But like Kelly came in a year after I did and finished a year before I did. So you can't like you can't measure yourself in comparison to your peers because your experience is your experience and that is it. Um, and I don't think that was ever talked about before I started. And so that mm-hmm. was hard.
1: Right. <laughs> I feel, yeah, I actually, that made me remember during my PhD, I was talking to people that were in other programs, similar to mine, but at other universities, and they had like different timelines and different testing kind of stages than we had in my program. So I felt like I wasn't matching up or I didn't know the same information. The way they did qualifying exams was like totally different than how I did mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and Yeah.
0: I, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to
1: leave.
2: It. <laughs> I mean, right. Like I had two kids along the way. And so there are people that are coming in who are married and like want to have children. And so that timeline looks totally different than if you are coming in at 24 or 22 like hot off of your undergrad degree and you're just like ready to crank and go. Um and so like that's just different, right?
0: Yeah, that's different. And I think for some folks, even, you know, there are things that can happen, good, bad, or other, that change your trajectory trajectory a little bit or change the work that you're doing or make your data collection if you're doing that as part of your work more complicated or whatever that can um, extend or shorten those time periods Mm -hmm. in different ways. And so um, I think... Yeah, I think that's a great point. It's not linear. Everybody kind of has their own path to walk. And I think it's important to like lean into that and get what you need from a program as opposed to trying to follow someone else's model that might not be what you need or what's what's best for you. So, um,
2: And there are so many things that are beyond your control. Like I came in to work with one person who then in my second year, like wasn't granted tenure and left. So I didn't have that person to work with anymore. And then how do you find, you know, somebody that does work for you and what you thought you wanted to do. And perhaps that has to change too along the way. So you, so there's a lot of flexibility in some ways that you have to be able to exercise or willing to exercise. Um, like what I came in to do is not necessarily at all what I ultimately ended up doing with my degree. So it's really challenging in some ways, right?
1: That made me, that sounds really difficult to have kind of an unexpected mentor change happen during your PhD training. So I think what would you, would you describe as kind of the outcome of a PhD? Because I think a lot of people come in thinking like, I'm going to work with this person because I want to do this specific research. What do you view as like the point or the outcome or what did you get out of your PhD?
2: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the reason I had wanted to get a PhD was because I wanted to have the option and ability to teach at the university level, which in a lot of spaces like WashU, you typically need in order to be able to even have like a lecturer position. Um, and so it wasn't necessarily, th- there were boundaries, like there were things as far as research that I was like, I'm not at all interested in this. Like, this is not what I want to spend my year of a dissertation research doing. And I think like that was good to have that sort of clarity, but the willingness to explore other things that perhaps I wasn't as familiar with um because I was going to work with a new mentor was, was definitely like a worthwhile investment so that I could ultimately have access to that end goal.
0: I think too, there are differences. Um, I didn't realize this until I came in. So um, I, the only experience I had with PhD programs was that my mother worked as staff in a different program. And the way they bring students in is like in our program, students come into a lab. So you come in asking to work with someone and when you're admitted to the program, you're admitted into somebody's lab. You know mm-hmm. who your mentor is from day one. That's not how our education program was. And so you get admitted to the program and you still you know, maybe have to figure that out and how much you have to do to figure that out can be unclear. And I think there are other programs like mm-hmm. that as well. Um, yeah. And so I think, like knowing what kind of program you're going into mm-hmm. to have that. Because I think in some situations, if you come into a lab and there's a transition and mentor, you still can run into the same kind of obstacles. But I think in a program like ours, you come in, like kind of set on something and there's no, nobody has an obligation to kind of make sure you land. Okay. It's really, yeah. up to, you know, how how much you're willing to do to kind of figure that out and ask the questions and like take the initiative.
1: Which I think is like a huge difference. Like you were saying, Lindsay, that like in a PhD program, it's really up to you um, and it's your own path. Whereas like some other like bachelors or masters or professional degree programs, they're guiding you for a really specific outcome. But these outcomes from PhDs really vary. And I think for me anyways, yeah. I can't remember if I've talked about this before, but like one of the things that was so hard my first year is I didn't have as clear of an idea of like, why exactly do I need this PhD? Um, is it for teaching? Is it for research and making sure that the program that you're in aligns with your reason? Because I think like mm-hmm. the program that Kelly and I are affiliated with now, that's to train scientists. So if your goal is teaching, that might not be the fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, like those, you would answer all of these yeah. questions differently, depending on what your personal individual goal is, because every path is its own. Its own.
0: <laughs> True. And, like, I think what you're not saying, and we've talked about it in a different episode, is that um, so Catherine has a clinical doctorate also, and then mm-hmm. a PhD, and there's an episode about that. So, mm-hmm. for folks who are interested in that, go back and find that one. What's the difference? But I think, um, yeah, it's a really good question, right? We're already really talking about this kind of the things that, you know, perhaps were tough for us, or maybe we've seen be tough for others, but what are some of the other things, um, Lindsay, you touched on this, you know, growing your family while also pursuing a PhD. Um, I, uh, was pregnant when I applied to my PhD program and I was really, I really worried a, that, that, that was going to lead to some kind of bias in the process. It did not, but I was concerned that like pregnancy would somehow disqualify Mm -hmm. me from a PhD. Um, But yeah, other kind of, you know, challenges that um, might have come up for us or others. um, And yeah,
2: so I think, like, I obviously was already in the PhD program when I became pregnant with my oldest. Um, But there's like that very quick transition when you become a parent to like, you had your own life and you were your own person before you had this human being. And now, by virtue of having another human being in your life, um, your time becomes extremely constricted. There were a lot of opportunities that I had to say no to, or I felt like I had to say no to, because I was now responsible for caring for, you know, a baby at home. Um, And also like I needed to put up specific boundaries so that I could take care of like my own, physical and mental health, because as you all know, like doing a PhD is a lot Um, and it can take over your entire life. Um, And so I think it was hard to say no to a lot of things, um, even just like events that like I would have liked to have gone to or talks on campus that I would have loved to participate in. Um, or publications, like there, after I had my second child, I had postpartum depression. I had to back out of a publication because I had to take care of my mental health, right? Like there are just things like that that are inevitably gonna come up. Life inevitably happens along the way. And I think knowing that there are there are resources within your university, usually to help, especially with mental health, Um, But also being willing to ask, like, hey, because like with postpartum depression, our people here on campus don't typically handle postpartum depression in their student population. So then I had to ask, who can I go to outside of the university? Because I do need to take care of this. Um, But right. Like knowing that those things will come up and. Being willing to reach out to the resources that are available because it can be, I think reaching out can be the challenging part because it's hard to admit sometimes like, hey, this isn't going swimmingly well, right? Sorry, it looks like you're going to say something. You no, know, I was
0: just going to say, I think it's also like understanding the climate of the institutions that you're considering or that you're in. Um mm-hmm to so A, have that comfort level to ask those questions and to talk to people, right? And to to, to um, be able to seek out those resources is important. I think understanding mm-hmm. the culture and climate of, of departments, programs, institutions mm-hmm. is critical.
1: Yeah, I, that's similar to what I was thinking about too. And I, and I don't, if you're willing to share, because that sounds really difficult as a situation to navigate as a PhD student, where you're kind of in this development phase too, as a professional, um, and having people yeah. that are mentoring you. And, um, and I, I know for many people in that training role, it can be really intense and, um, and stressful and difficult, and there's a lot of pressure to do so many different things. And it sounds like you found a way to balance that and, you know, figuring out how to say no to things that weren't going to fit. And now, is there anything that you might be willing to share about how you made those decisions? Like what to say no to what, how to pick and prioritize what to do because ultimately you did finish. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I think like to Kelly's point, knowing the climate of the like department that you're in or the university is also really important. I got, I feel as though like I was overwhelmingly lucky in the fact that we had a department chair at the time um, who eventually became both Kelly and my mentor um, who was very supportive of us having children um, throughout this entire process. He like, I remember when I first got pregnant, I was very concerned because right, like I was supposed to be working as a TA that next semester. How was I gonna balance being a TA and being a student? And he was just like, hey, look, at the end of the day, you put your family first. Like the university is here. We're not going anywhere. This degree is here. It's not going anywhere he always likes to say there are no emergencies in education but like there are emergencies in your family so you focus on that and we'll be here when you're ready to come back um and i think having that level of support early on helped me realize like okay it is okay to put boundaries it is okay to put myself first um we are people first so that I think was fortunate. Um, and I realized that's not necessarily everyone's experience, but there are, I think more and more universities, at least from what I've seen elsewhere as well, that are, there are mentors there. There are people there. There's a support network there. Um, and it's just a matter of like, do you know the people who can help you tap into those?
0: Yeah, I just, so I'm thinking about, um, yeah, I agree. Um, We did have a very supportive mentor. and I also am am reminded of a conversation um, that I had with a different department chair, um, who was a man who was telling us a group of students, most of us women, um, and a handful of us with families, a story about when his kids were young, bringing one of them to like a faculty meeting or something. And he then said, you girls could never do that. But, like, for him, it was cool and cute and, like, you know, highly respected. So I think there are also these kind of, um, you know, gendered conversations that happen around around that. And and I think that some programs operate in that way. Um, and mm-hmm. I just found it interesting that he, you know, stopped the conversation to say, like, yes, I did this. Yes, it was fine. Don't get any ideas. Yes. Um And I think, you know, he meant it in a support, not well, supportive is not the right word, but in a, in a, like, like he didn't agree that it was right, but like, don't, you know, don't take that
2: that double standards there.
0: Exactly. Um, So, yeah, so there, there is you being mindful of climate, I think matters.
1: I think also another thing that you brought up that I'm really thinking about in relationship to my experience is like recognizing that not all mentors can serve every purpose. And, um, yeah. and the value of having a mentor um that provides you with that type of guidance and feedback and um permission to be a parent, which is seems maybe silly, but like when you're in this training environment, I think there is that question, how is this gonna actually go, and so um I think it's okay even, or I don't think, I know, I'm saying this, actually, I should just be forward. My own experience, you know, not every mentor can serve every purpose. And sometimes you need to seek out an additional mentor Mm -hmm. or um, internally at your own institution or finding even external mentors that can serve different purposes to, you know, support you in getting to what your ultimate goal is. And if the ultimate goal is like completing that PhD for the purpose of research or teaching or whatever that may be, or leadership, like- who are who are the people that can really help get you there and if one mentor or supervisor isn't able to do all of those different components
0: find someone else or if mm-hmm. it's just not a good fit yep I, I didn't have that experience until after my phd and it was a small program but i got paired with someone who wasn't a good fit and i thought it was like my job to make it work <laughs> And then it took me quite a while to realize like, this is just not a good fit and I'm wasting my time <laughs> and I need to figure out something different as opposed to trying to force it. So there is that. I, I maybe even still
1: feel that sometimes like I need to make this work. Yeah.
2: yeah I mean, similarly, right? Like even so after the initial mentor I was going to work with left, I was paired then with somebody who was not at all a good fit. And the fear of walking away was really, really high because it was like, oh my gosh, if I don't want to work with this person, how am I going to get through? Um, And there are other mentors to work with. And again, like it probably did set me back at least an additional semester, if not a year, by virtue of like changing who I wanted to work with. And yet that was a much more fruitful relationship in the end, because he was able to help me see more broadly beyond what I was originally working on and also, you know, provide me with the support I needed in order to get out and finish.
0: So what do you think, um, kind of building on that, are good strategies or tips for um, students to really build strong, productive, you know, healthy relationships with mentors?
2: Yeah. um, I mean, right. I think there's like maybe not necessarily two paths. There's like the ideal world and then what sometimes happens, like in the ideal world, you're able to look up programs and go anywhere in the United States to find that person that looks good to work with. And you're able to go to the on campus, you know, like orientation or interview or whatever, when you're accepted and talk to the people who are in the program and like ask them, what is it like to work with this person? Um, I had that benefit, like when I ultimately got a postdoc, right? Like I talked to her grad students and was like, what is it like to work with this person? How would you characterize working with them? What happens like if you can't meet a deadline? How do they react? Um, and then there's like, what also happens, which is sometimes you are bound by geography. You might have a spouse, Um, you're not leaving the area. So you are limited as to what programs you can apply to and who, you know, you might be able to work with within that program. Um, how do you make that fit happen? And I think being really honest with yourself and also maybe the people you're going to work with, um, because not every PhD program is the right fit for everybody. And I think being willing to be honest with yourself about that before you try to force it um, can save you a lot of time and effort. Sometimes like you might be better served by going to the smaller regional university to get a PhD if like there are people there that do the research that you're interested in, for example. Um, But likewise, like it just depends on your end goal. And I think knowing that before you come in matters a lot.
0: Yeah. I hear you saying like several important things there, right. Thinking um, I, I, I can remember coming in as a student and feeling like, you know, you have no choices. You have to kind of, you just have to get through it. And in order to be successful, you have to do it in this way, whatever that is, you know, kind of whatever folks tell you to do. And so I, I can, I hear you saying that like really thinking about that fit piece matters and um, thinking about what's right for you, but also, like communicating and and the honesty piece and really thinking about, um, you know, what kind of mentee, trainee, student, learner you are and, and really considering that is perhaps also important in communicating that with mentors. I think that's excellent.
1: Yeah, it seems like such valuable information, like thinking, like not only seeking out the lab and the school and the location, like there's so many factors that go into that commitment. Um but also, what do I really want out of this? And like, what's the best fit for me and my own path? Because the PhD is such a unique, everybody's path is is unique. It's like inherent in what the degree is, is it's generating new information. Um, so kind of with that in mind, is there anything that you could think of that you would like to share with people that are considering a PhD? Like, what should they be thinking about when they're considering the degree and maybe different degree programs?
2: Hmm, that's a really good question. I mean, again, because it is so individualized. Um, I mean, I think it's worth and I I would almost I mean, I don't know how everybody is before they go into a Ph.D. program. So I would almost say I imagine a lot of people are doing their research beforehand, but do your research beforehand. <laughs> um, take the time to really look around and like see what seems to make the most sense at the outset and then be willing to explore it further. Don't necessarily jump the gun on like making a decision on like, Oh, I must like apply to these programs. Um, Like you don't necessarily have to go straight through, be willing perhaps to take a couple of years and work before you start a PhD program. Um, Having like that, that, saved up uh you know supply of money sometimes is helpful like you don't make a ton of money in a phd program and like that is also good information to have moving forward
1: i was thinking about something that like all of us to talk about for a minute is when those difficult moments happen like we were talking about a few minutes ago like what should we do what what should phd trainees do what should what should we do what what is that kind of chain of command or who do we talk to? I know we talked about mentorship, but I think these sticky situations happen that are difficult to navigate, and I don't know if you have any like additional thoughts or advice like of what what trainees can do, yeah,
2: so um we also had the benefit of having somebody in our department who had an insane amount of institutional knowledge on how to navigate these things um and so when in doubt like if your mentor is not the department chair. Go to your department chair. Um, they are like the next step up in the chain of command. If you are in the unfortunate situation in which your current mentor is also the department chair, um, the next chain up usually is going somewhere within your graduate school, whether like in my case, it ended up, I think you ended up at like the dean, Um And so they are like able to help you navigate those situations. They know like who to contact um, the additional resources that are available to you through your programming or through your department. Um, And so the challenge is working up the nerve to go up that chain of command because I very clearly remember feeling helpless. Um, and like my experience didn't matter when in fact, like a lot of the people in the university genuinely do care about student experiences and want you to finish and want to help you navigate those situations, but they don't know that they exist until you bring it to their attention.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's excellent. I think um, the other thing I was thinking about is, you know, we've been talking about these kind of particular situations, but um, I think research period and PhD programs and kind of um, working in research later there is there are opportunities for conflict in many different areas. Yes. Um, for, <laughs> <and> so, <laughs>
1: what are opportunities know? for
0: conflict. I like that. Yes. Thinking about, yes. you know, <laughs> what are different strategies for managing that conflict or managing Even just difficult conversations, right? I mean, everything from like authorship to, you know, all kinds of things, right? Like, how do you um, approach and have these conversations that are challenging? How do you, I think it's something to think about and like a a skill to kind of hone as a PhD student, Um,
1: like a skill they don't tell you that you need to get out of your PhD. There it is. Yes.
2: Yes. And ideally, right, like I didn't realize until after I was out how much- Of that, um, I gained through the mentor that I ultimately worked with and seeing how he operated um, with other people, uh, how he operated even just like when we all wrote together on things. Um, He used to send me links or send all of us, I think, links to like, here is like general APA guidance on figuring out authorship um, based on like, what are you writing? What are you contributing to this? Um, right. Like how, I I don't know. I think it was, it, again, wasn't until after I left that I realized, oh, like that was part of the training piece that wasn't made explicitly clear. Um, but I realized I gained over time and I like, at some point, I'm wondering, like, is it better to have, like, make, make it explicitly clear, like, hey, we're going to have this conversation so that, you know, like, when you are working with partners in the future, how, how you want to talk about authorship on a piece? How do you want to do editing once, you know, you've submitted something?
0: It's interesting. So as Lindsay said, we worked with the same mentor and I had an issue with my dissertation where I got um, conf- conflicting feedback from two different committee members on the same thing. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm me to do two opposite things. How do I handle this? And he was like, you're going to handle it like peer review. Like, you know, you're going to like, this is, this is the real world. This is the yeah. real life. That's how it happens. These things will come up and here's what we're going to do. And so I think modeling that kind of thing and, um, you know asking the questions cuz i was like i don't you know i have to do what they all tell me to do even when they're telling me to do different things how do you figure that, that was out that's
1: totally my mentality as a phd student like i've yeah. got to do what they tell me and right. so I think
0: you know um th- that that's an important piece that you're bringing up and so yeah like some of these things should probably be more sp- more um explicit and more direct um but then we also have to kind of learn how to follow those models that we're seeing that are you know i feel like a lot of the lessons i i got um were these like just watching right just watching yeah. um these experienced folks in action and figuring out like oh okay this is a good model for how to do x um and applying that and then i think as a mentor i do think a lot about actually directly telling students being more explicit and in, in teaching some of those things that those lessons i kind of just observed so
1: I feel good like point, that needs yeah. to be, yeah, good point. But like, like we need to think about that, like as trainees coming into PhD programs, being aware that these are skills we have to learn, yeah but then also maybe encouraging mentors or us ourselves as mentors, programs and things that they I think it should be explicit. It's not just the research training um, or teaching experience that you're getting when you come out with this degree. You're also learning how to handle conflict that what was the wording you just used? It was so funny to me. Opportunities
2: for conflict.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we didn't talk about this. It's
1: um, constantly.
0: It does. Yeah. And, you know, so one of the things that that we were considering talking about was, you know, imposter syndrome, right? I think it's its own episode. But I think <laughs> that, like, feeling empowered to kind of take leadership and ownership in your own path in that way, right? So, like, here's conflict, but I do have um, some agency, and how I handle it. And I think we, we live in this space that's like, do I belong here so often, mm-hmm. which is why I brought up the, you know, imposter syndrome thing, that we think about it like that, as opposed to like to, to taking that ownership and leadership for ourselves. And um, I think the earlier we learn to do that, the better we can manage and handle that conflict going, you know, mm-hmm. as we go, <clears throat> I think conflict is different because we or are difficult, excuse me, because we, um, because it's like confidence, right? Like that, you know, well, I don't know anything. I'm just a student. I'm just this. I'm just that. Well, no, this is your work. Like, you know, so yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think that, um, so like as a person who is like, I will easily say that I like to avoid conflict at all costs, right? Like I'm not one that likes to to advocate for myself necessarily. However there is a training piece that i think comes in here because as you said like the opportunities for conflict naturally arise throughout the process and then as you become an adult and are in the real world right like these things will happen um but knowing how to respond is also important because you inevitably have to advocate for yourself and know that like you have either ex- prior experience before you come to this PhD program, you have prior knowledge from your various degrees. Um, you've been brought in for a reason. Like they don't just admit everybody, right? They're investing in you for a reason. And so be willing to advocate for yourself when necessary or for your work or, right? Like, there's something to be said about picking and choosing your battles, of course, like don't fight for everything. But when it matters, be willing to advocate for yourself.
0: Agreed. I think we would. So I'm thinking since I brought up the the words imposter syndrome and since we're talking about this, I think we have to also recognize that programs exist within systems and structures that are not designed to empower us to feel that we can't do anything about these things right right um there's a power dynamic there are situation that the way the structure the kind of hierarchy the way that um uh there's differential influence and and all of these things and the in institutions there the structures are not set, set up in a way to make us feel good about that and i think you yeah. have to remember that um And remember that that's something we kind of have to, I think, I guess a strategy we maybe didn't talk about as much is like building in the peer support Mm. and the um, kind of support at different levels, right? So having peers you can go to for just to talk it out, advice, suggestions, but also having mentors and folks who may not be your direct mentors, but are um, people that you trust to be able to engage Mm. with and really um, navigate those situations because, um, I think we can say that, you know, you got to speak up, you have to ask questions, push back, advocate, but we will be lying to suggest that um, our, you know, universities are designed They're in a best. way to make that easy for you.
2: Right. Yeah. You don't, You right. You can't advocate easily for yourself in a vacuum. You there? There are people supporting you. And I think you're absolutely right. Figuring out how to tap into those support networks is really important.
1: Yeah. Like even that comment you made about like having a mentor that had a lot of institutional knowledge, like that is huge mm-hmm. because sometimes as Kelly is saying, like we're in this structure of an institution that isn't designed to make our lives easier. Right. Uh, it isn't designed for us to be comfortable. It's designed for us to be productive and produce papers and write grants, but it isn't designed for like
0: Catherine's happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's not, Inequities are baked in. Yeah. So some of us are going to feel more empowered than others for any mm-hmm. variety of reasons tied to, you know, yeah. various
2: race, factors, class, gender.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Yeah. So maybe with that in mind, are there any resources that you're aware of either at your institution or that you know that multiple institutions may have or national resources? That we could recommend or link to?
0: Hmm.
2: One of the things that I did find, I would say, beneficial over the long term was getting involved with um, our national organization, or I guess it's an international organization. So I am part of the American Educational Research Association. And so there are various special interest groups. Um, within that organization that you connect with and then you're connected with scholars and other graduate students that are interested in the same general area of research as you. If you get connected with like their special interest groups, you are now like able to have access to other scholars that are interested within your field that are different, different institutions across the world. Right. And then same with graduate students. And then they also have like graduate student organizations within some of you know these larger organizations that you can be in contact with who inevitably have experienced challenges in their own programs how they've navigated those, um, and so one of the things that I have found really incredibly useful from both like a professional and personal standpoint right is like connecting with these other scholars who aren't necessarily right at my institution
1: that seems like a great tip to me you know really connect with others internally but also like who else is in your area elsewhere that could provide some additional advice mm-hmm. yeah
0: agreed
2: i mean kelly do you know of any other resources like within it like locally or i don't know right
0: yeah, I was thinking about the National Research um, Mentoring Network as mm-hmm. one. Um, but the other thing I was thinking about when actually when you mentioned this, like graduate student associations outside of your institution, but also within your institution, I think can yeah. be useful across departments. And we talked about that um, when we in our episode on postdocs, thinking about like how to make use of those resources. Um, the you know organizations for whatever level you're at. So I think that's. Um, that's another one. Do you have others?
1: I don't think so. I think really just leveraging those communities and networks. uh, And it's so unique that it's difficult to say one specific one, because everybody has their own like kind of niche area. You know, for me, it might be occupational therapy and child development and hematology and seeking those mentors and supports within that network. So it might be multiple areas. So that's why I said that.
0: I think for really um, big challenges, thinking about, you know, university reporting systems, Mm -hmm. office, things like that, um, is always something also, because I think there are some challenges that are um, so egregious or so um, substantial that you really have to, you know, have specific types of recourse. Um, So they're always identifying where those things are in your university. What are the different types of reporting systems that exist? What are the supports that exist for students, period, you know, across the institution?
1: And what are the purpose of those supports? So I'm just mm-hmm. going to throw that out there because, you know, some supports like HR are there for the institution that they will be there to su- to talk with and support learners and people at all levels there too. But, but really their purpose is to support the institution. So recognizing the difference of those different support networks and making sure that you're using them appropriately.
0: Yeah. Yeah making sure that you're working somebody that has your best interests yeah and that's like that, problem solving that, like, strategy actually
1: cares about like kelly yeah. Catherine, Lindsay, and their success um and who are what is the purpose of your um the support that you're seeking
0: like yeah. do they want me to succeed or do they want how do they want this to end Great. Right. well we thank you so much yeah. for taking time to chat with us today about this i think um There were lots of um, really good, you know, strategies and pieces of advice in there.
2: Thank you so much. We all know it's a tricky process and hopefully people find the support systems they need along the way, right?
1: Thank you for joining us today. Check out our other episodes to hear more. You can find the first season on YouTube under Washington University Program and Occupational Therapies channel under the First Fridays for OT Research playlist.
0: And more episodes of Demystifying Research linked under the Research tab on the Washington University OT webpage at ot.wustl.edu. That's ot.wustl.edu. Send us your ideas for future episodes at demystifyingresearch at wustl.edu.